Well, let's uh, turn in the Word. If you have a copy of the Scripture, you can open it up to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24. That's where we find ourselves today, Deuteronomy 24. Uh, we have been going through this book of the Bible for quite a while and are continuing to uh, for another several weeks, but we're getting closer uh, to the end. Um, but I, we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 6, uh, here in just a moment. But I thought that it was somewhat fitting that this text today actually falls on Mother's Day. Uh, and it's not because it has anything specifically to do with mothers. You're not going to, as I read this here in a moment, you're not going to hear anything directly about moms or commands to moms per se. Um, but what you're going to see as I read it and then as we walk back through it, I think what you'll see is that this text does in a lot of different situations and a lot of different angles address something that is a core element of mothering, a core part of mothering. Uh, mothering is much more than this, but a, a core dimension of mothering, at least in my observation and my experience, would be what I call caring for those who are vulnerable. Uh, that, that's when I think of mothers, when I think of what my mom has been to me and what my wife is to our children, what I see as an example in many of the moms even in this room, uh, there is a deep care that is shown towards their children who in infancy but even along in life are vulnerable and they seek to look out for them. They seek to, to shield them in some ways, to protect them. Uh, they, they are the ones, uh, especially our biological mothers initially, who sustain and preserve us quite literally physically uh, at the very beginning of life. They're the ones who carry us. They're the ones who feed us. They're the ones uh, who protect us. There's a reason we've used this euphemism of a mama bear, right? Like even uh, later in life when there's threats that come and our children are vulnerable, sometimes uh, ladies shift into being mama bear, which they probably were all along, that they're looking to protect the vulnerable children that God has entrusted to them. That, that care for the vulnerable doesn't just stop after infancy or toddlerhood. It continues throughout life. And what we're going to see as we come to this text today is Moses, as he is, we've been seeing him uh, retell the law that he had received at Mount Sinai. He's retelling the law to this new generation of Israelites as they're about to go into the promised land. What we're going to see in today's text is numerous examples, kind of like rapid fire like we saw a couple weeks ago, uh, of various laws. But there's going to be a common theme, I think you'll see emerge, of caring for the vulnerable, looking out for people who maybe don't have anyone else who would look out for them or who could protect them and Moses is calling these Israelites to do that. Uh, big picture in this book I, I feel like this is kind of the point in Deuteronomy where Moses if you want to use the metaphor of, of a flight in an airplane he's kind of beginning the descent <laughs> down to the ground. Uh, we've been flying around uh, looking at a bunch of different laws and he's going to share some more specifics here but then especially starting next week we're going to see him start to, to land the plane slowly. Uh, but I want to read this text for us, and I'd encourage you as I read this, it's going to be a long text, but see if you can make note of all the different ways, just mentally at least, of all the different categories of vulnerable people that Moses is going to tell them to look out for. And then we'll walk back through it, kind of note what those are, and then see what relevance this has even for us today. So I'm going to read all the way from Deuteronomy 24, 6, all the way to the end of chapter 25. Uh, so it's going to be long, uh, so you can buckle up and listen, uh, and then we'll walk back through these uh, and, and see what the Lord would have to say to us through them. But starting in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 6, Moses continued his address to the Israelites by saying this, No one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. 
If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Take care, in a case of leprous disease, to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priests shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest they cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. And on to chapter 25. If there is a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. Forty stripes may be given him, but not more. Lest, if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. 
Continuing on, uh, when men fight with one another and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall have no pity. You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. And finally, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. That's metaphorical, by the way. Those who were lagging behind you and, and did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. This is the word of the Lord. A lot in there. Uh, I want to briefly try to explain most of these. I'm I'm not remotely going to dive into the depths of all these. Some I might not even address at all for the sake of time. But I want to walk back through these texts and at least try to summarize with many of them how Moses and God through Moses was calling the Israelites to respect vulnerable people. To look out for people who are in vulnerable positions, vulnerable places in society, and to treat them with dignity. And so I want to start back at the beginning and kind of walk through these uh, one by one. And uh, I'm going to call this section of the sermon, Making the Commands. Just trying to summarize what the commands were that Moses was making. And so if you start back at the beginning of today's text, I, I, the first category, right, with verse 6 of chapter 24, is Moses commanding them to have respect of debtors, uh, people who had debts. And then he continues that after verse 6. If you jump down to verses 10 through 13, he addresses similar situations where he is talking about uh, people who are in debt. And so in verse uh, 6, he talks about if not going, like if you need uh, to recuperate money from someone and you want a pledge of it, you want like a, a deposit, so to speak, might be language we use now, you want a pledge from them, he says don't take from them as a pledge a mill, like a, a stone that they would have used or a bottom stone or a top stone that they would have used to ground flour so they can make bread and be able to just eat as a family, saying don't take that as their pledge. He says if you do, you're taking a life in pledge. You're taking away their very ability to eat as a part of this business transaction that you're making. He says don't treat them that way in verse 6. And then in 10 to 13, uh, he's talking again about a pledge that uh, a person who is owed money may seek to get from the person who owes to them and he tells them when you go to receive that pledge he says to treat them with dignity he says don't go into his house to get it like that is his house even if he owes you money, even if he is indebted to you, his property doesn't all just become yours to rifle through and sort through and just barge in like he belongs to you and his household belongs to you. Moses is telling them uh, to respect that brother, to, to show honor to him, dig, treat him with dignity even when he owes you money, maybe even a sizable amount of money. Treat him with dignity. Do not stoop to going in and pretending like you are Lord over him that you get to direct what even happens in the privacy of his house. So he calls them to respect debtors. 
In verse 7, if you go back to verse 7, I think you see that he calls them to respect who what we would call today the trafficked. Uh, to respect those who have been trafficked or potentially trafficked. In verse 7, he talks about what some people call man-stealing, taking another human being. uh, He talks about stealing one of his brothers from Israel and treating him as a slave or even selling him. uh, What's implied is that they're selling him to a foreign nation. They're selling like what Joseph's brothers did in Genesis, right? Like selling off a person into another society, to another culture. Moses says if that happens... Death is the punishment to that person. This is a serious offense. One commentator called it social murder. That person would still be alive, presumably, in another place. But that, by stealing them, by taking them from their family and selling them into another place, they were cutting them off from the people of Israel, cutting them off from their family, cutting them off functionally even from God himself. And Moses saying that will never, should never mark us as the people of God, that we just take people and for the gain of money, we dispense of them as possessions to go to someone else, but that we never stoop to trafficking people. And when it happens, there is significant punishment. There is death itself that comes to those offenders. So they're to respect the traffic, to look out for them, to not just wait till it happens and then punish, but I would say implied in that they seek to prevent that, to curb that, to look out for those who may be uh, susceptible to that. So we have respect of debtors, respect of the traffic. You see, in ver- as we get into the teens of chapter 24, what I would call respect of workers, uh, respect of employees, maybe, to use our language today. If you look at verses 14 and 15, he talks about hired workers who are poor and needy. And what the command is, he says, you shall not oppress them shall not oppress them. And he says the direct command is to give them their pay at the end of the day. They worked for you. Don't wait till the end of the week. Don't wait till you have, uh, it's convenient to you. Make sure you give them their payment at the end of that day. And the reason he says is because he counts on it, right? Verse 15, he needs that. You may be in a situation as a landowner where you're not living hand to mouth. You're not living paycheck to paycheck. You have plenty, but this brother is not. And he's saying, don't wait till it's convenient for you to pay him, but give him daily what he needs, what his family, if he has family, what they need. Pay him promptly, right? Then if you jump down, I'll just skip ahead to chapter 25, verse 4. There's what feels like a random command there about an ox. He says in 25, 4, talking about, by extension, I think, workers, but a working animal, most directly, says not to muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. Uh, That metaphor, Paul, the Apostle Paul even uses later to talk in the New Testament to talk about gospel workers, whether missionaries or elders. But he refers back to this text and what Moses said, because Moses is imagining an ox that is doing work in the field and how maybe to like make sure more is harvested, uh, they put a muzzle on that thing to keep it from eating some of the scraps so they can just have a little bit more to have in their harvest to sell or to use and Moses saying that animal's working for you like let it eat like let it benefit from the work that it's doing and so even an animal worker is to be respected and treated uh, with honor and allowed to eat Okay, so there's respect of workers who may otherwise be vulnerable, who have no resource to just provide for themselves. That's why they are working for this person. He's saying if they're dependent on you, don't take advantage of them. Pay them promptly. Pay them what they've deserved, what they have earned. So respect for workers. 
going back to chapter 24, when you look at verse 24, or sorry, chapter 24, verse 16, I would, I would say this respecting of the vulnerable is respecting the family members of the guilty. Uh, he says in verse 16 that fathers shouldn't be put to death because of the sins of their children. The children shouldn't be put to death for the sins of their parents. It, it works both directions, but the basic principle there is pretty obvious that uh, there may be when an offense has been done by one family member, what is tempting to do by outside observers, or especially if the, the people who've been offended or hurt, is to lump them all together and start to strike back at this person, whether legally or recklessly sometimes, uh, not just at that person for their wrongdoing, but everyone associated with them. And what, what he is saying here is, don't take things out on the children of, of a father who has committed a wrong. Uh, they did not commit that offense. Don't lump them in and, and sweep them into that uh, punishment. Show respect and honor to the family of the guilty. If you go, I'm going to skip over the end of 24 for right now. I'll come back to it in a few minutes. But if you go to chapter 25, the start of chapter 25, another category of vulnerable people that Moses tells them to look out for, to show respect and treat with dignity to, is criminals. To respect people who are criminals. In verses 1 through 3, he, he's imagining this court scene and where wrongdoing really has been done and there is punishment that's supposed to be meted out to this brother in Israel. But what he says to them is, A, like there needs to be a, a process, right? There needs to actually be due process that happens to, to adjudicate, did this brother really do this? What was the, the extent of the wrong that he did? Uh, but he's assuming, okay, if that has happened, then there is a guilty man, a proven guilty man who even deserves to be beaten. That would have been a, a punishment that they brought forth uh, for his offense Moses sets limits on it he sets parameters on it he, he says this far and no more right he, he says uh, that 40 stripes verse 3 may be given him but no more and this is why it became a common uh, practice in Jewish circles to give 39 lashes right uh, to, so he says 40 stripes and no more but the reason he says in verse 3 that that is to be outside of offenses that are capital punishment offenses in Deuteronomy, when it's offenses like this, he sets a limit to it. He says why. In verse 3, he says, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother would be degraded in your sight. And so Moses has a heart somehow of compassion toward this brother who has done a grave offense, not one that's punishable by death, but it's something severely wrong, heinous. And Moses is saying, that brother must not be degraded in the sight of Israel. Like, we don't just get to treat him however we want and to just give full vent to our anger and embarrass him and humiliate him. Yes, there is some of that, even just being in punished publicly but he's saying there is a limit that person is to be treated with respect and dignity as an image bearer of God we are not just to turn loose any anger and judgment we want upon that person there's to be restraint even in the execution of justice even in the implementation of punishment it's to be proportional but it's to be restrained and so uh, criminals in that culture in our day are often not looked after they're not treated with respect people just think if they've done something wrong then they deserve what's coming to them and almost have no limit on what they imagine that being but Moses said it should be otherwise that criminal must not be degraded 
If you go to the next verse, the chunk, verses 5 through 10 of chapter 25, uh, Moses is commanding what I would call respect, I don't know a quick way to say this, respect of the sonless widow. Uh, I think some of the kids even learned about the story of Ruth during the Sunday school hour. Uh, These verses are significant background to that book of Ruth uh, for various ways. This is describing, uh, what Moses is describing here is something that came to be known as leveret marriage. Uh, It wasn't just something that Jewish people did. It was actually what happened in other ancient cultures as well. They didn't create this, but Moses is giving directions about it of how Israelites were supposed to do it. Uh, But what he's imagining is this scenario where there's brothers who live together, uh, who are in close proximity together, uh, both of them married, presumably, and one of them dies prior to having a son, who in their culture would have been the heir, the one who inherited the land, the one who inherited the possessions of the family. They don't have a son yet, and though it seems odd to us, what was commanded, what was told to happen is that the wife, that widow, who was left without a son, without a husband, without a son now, she was told to marry the brother of, that, of her husband, uh, which again seems very bizarre and foreign to us, but it was a, a common practice in their day, and it was to ensure the continuation of that family line as their society was structured, that that brother's line would continue. It would help even just functionally with property and division of things as time rolled on. But I would note here, it was also a protection of that woman. If you can imagine her situation, she has come into being part of this family. Think of Ruth and the story of Ruth, how vulnerable she was, right? Without a husband, without a son, she comes into this society, has no one other than her mother-in-law to look after her. This would have been the experience of this young widow, And Moses is commanding them to look after her. She is treated in these verses, this widow, not just as a commodity or possession to be passed around. Like if you read other ancient codes and how they did this type of marriage, that's somehow how they would speak of her, is that she was almost like a a property or a possession to be given, just passed along in a sense to this next son, this next or next brother in line. But I appreciate so much even how Moses gives commands here is that this woman is treated with respect and dignity and honor. She's the one who's even driving the thing, right? Like she's the one who goes to the elders. She's the one who, as weird as it sounds to us, spits in the guy's face and the stuff with the sandal. She's the one. It's not just people doing it for her on behalf of her, but she's treated with dignity. And and Moses is trying to commend to them. It's not an explicit command because the guy can refuse to do it. It's not absolutely mandated, but he's commending to them uh, this process of seeking to care for this sister, seeking to care for the sister-in-law and provide for her, hopefully to provide a son for her who could be an heir, but also just functionally to care for her, to look after her. She would have been incredibly vulnerable and Moses commanding, commending to look after and show respect to this sonless widow. And the last category I want to mention, I'm skipping over some things. If you want to know about verses 11 and 12, we could talk about that later. Uh, That is fascinating uh, language and image there. Uh, But if you go down to verse 13 through 16, 
of chapter 25, this last category I want to mention of vulnerable people, they're called to respect, is I think they're just called to respect trade partners, uh, called to respect people that they're going to be trading with. So in verses 13 to 16, he's calling for them to have fair measures, fair weights. How they would have made transactions would have often been in a balance of some sort where they're weighing a certain amount of this substance and uh, seeing how much it is so they know based on the given rate that it's going for that they give a certain amount of money or resource for that. But you could imagine people in that day and age before there's like universal codes and things like that and established uh, units of measurement and whatnot, you could imagine uh, sellers or buyers, depending, but probably typically sellers kind of functionally having a, a thumb on the scale, maybe saying, to use our vernacular, instead of a pound weight, uh, maybe to uh, put like a, a higher weight or a lower weight, depending if they're a buyer or seller, but still position it like it's a pound, and then to gain economically by deceiving that person, uh, uh, and to put a face forward like you're doing a, a fair deal, but to really gain for yourself. It'd be like if a gas station, I was just trying to think of this, if a gas station, I don't, I'm not seeing a gallon of gas go into my car, right? I'm trusting that their little things that are rolling up way too fast nowadays are actually like accurate that when it says there's a gallon, there's a gallon. But you could imagine uh, in a modern day equivalent how they could maybe kind of skew it so they're actually only putting like 0.9 something gallons in there but charging you for one and you think you're getting a fair deal but they're really ripping you off unbeknownst to you. This is like the ancient equivalent and Moses is saying do not rip people off. They may not ever know. They'll, they're vulnerable. They're subject to you measuring the stuff out, but make sure you're above board looking out for them. Respect those who you trade with. And so those are some categories, but I want to go back to the middle section that I skipped back in chapter 24, verses uh, 17 through 22, the heart of today's text, because in those verses, uh, Moses grounds these commands. Uh, he's very explicit about why they're to look out for the vulnerable, why they're to look out for the people who are in vulnerable spots. He makes it very explicit in these verses 17 through 22 of chapter 24. So throughout this text, he has given a couple kind of hints or allusions to the reasons people should respect the vulnerable. Uh, and he's done it throughout Deuteronomy. He has said a few times, do such and such, treat people such and such way, so that it might go well with you in the land. You've probably seen that phrase a lot in Deuteronomy. He says it even in today's text, like in verse 15. But in, in these verses, 17 to 22, he, he drills in and focuses more squarely on a reason, on a grounding for these commands to look after the vulnerable. So in these verses, you probably noted in 17 through 22, there's four different times in those verses that Moses lumps together these categories that he calls the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Did you notice that as I was reading it? Like four times he, he lumps those categories together, the sojourners, so like foreigners who have chosen to live amongst you as Israelites, the fatherless, we would typically use the language of orphans, right, uh, that, that are living amongst you in society. And third is the widow. We still use that term today. These are all vulnerable categories of people. People who have moved into the land, people who are without a father, and people who are without a husband. And what Moses says in verse 17 is he says, don't pervert the justice due to them. So don't pervert the justice that is due to him. They, they deserve respect. They deserve fairness. But even more than that, not perverting justice, 
he, he doesn't even just let them stay at arm's length and think, well, as long as I don't do wrong to them, then I'm good. He actually commands them to provide for them, right? As he, he talks about their vineyards and their orchards and their fields, and he commands them as they're going through their harvest. As I don't even know how this all works. I have said so many times I am not a farmer or remotely close to it, but I can't even understand these texts. He's saying when they go through to reap the harvest or they're, they're shaking down the, the olives and some stay on the vine or when they're, they're going through their, their vineyards and uh, there's grapes that are still there, he's saying don't go back and just grab every single one you can to be able to sell, to be able to store up for yourself. He's saying the ones that stay or the ones that fall, let them be. Again, think of the story of Ruth, right? And when she's going around and picking up the extras that are on the ground, if, you, if you've read that story, that was commanded by Moses is to, to leave those for these categories of people, for the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows. And he says in this text twice, he says explicitly why they're supposed to do that. He doesn't just say do it. It says, do this because of some. There's some reason I'm telling you to do this. I want to show you those. They, they are almost verbatim, verse 18 and verse 22. So he's, he's telling them these commands to provide for them. But in, in verse 18, he says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Right, so he's saying, remember, you were a slave back in Egypt. You were vulnerable. You had no ability to rescue yourself or to free yourself, but God saw you and he redeemed you. He looked on you and your vulnerability and spared you, provided for you, and is continuing to do so. Therefore, I command you to do this for other people. Right, you've received this. Do it for others. And then he says almost the same thing down in verse 22 after he's given these commands about the, the grapes and the, the olives and those things. Verse 22, he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So same language again. He's not just throwing a command out into thin air like this is just something you guys need to do to suck it up and do it. He's saying there's a reason I'm telling you to do this, that I'm telling you to look out for these people, to, to care for them. It's because God looked out for you. Like God looked upon you in your vulnerable state and rescued you out of the hand of Pharaoh, right? And this generation that's hearing this would have been prone to forget that. Some of them had never even lived through that, but it had happened nonetheless. God had rescued their people from the land of Egypt. He had rescued them from the most powerful man on the earth at that time through signs and wonders, and he had gone and confronted Pharaoh, right? Through Moses and through these plagues, God himself stood up for them when they could not stand up for themselves. And he's saying, when there are people amongst you now who are vulnerable, who have no one to look out for them, who could be easily mistreated, who could be easily taken advantage of, because God has looked out for you, you look out for them. And so I want to call us, as we think about this now for us, I want us to think about the reality, given this, this context here, the reality that we, if we are believers in Christ, we have a worse slavery than slavery to Pharaoh. And we have a greater rescue that we've experienced than what they had experienced, right? They had been enslaved to Pharaoh. They had been forced to make bricks and forced to, to serve him mercilessly. He had them under his thumb. But we have a worse slavery. We have a slavery to sin. We have a slavery to Satan, even himself, that we are born into. I, I would take slavery to Pharaoh over slavery to him every day of the week. 
But we are, we are born as human beings into slavery to sin, slavery to Satan, into service of him. We're born into it. We're enslaved under him. And we cannot, you cannot free yourself. Right? You can't. I can't free myself. We are under his rule. We are under the rule of sin. But unlike them in, in Egypt, we're complicit in our slavery to sin and Satan. We don't just purely long to be out from under it. We like sinning. We like following evil. We like rebelling against God. But even in that state of slavery and weakness and inability to free ourselves and kind of liking it as we do, God had compassion upon us, right? God looked upon us as who were his enemies, as who could not free ourselves And instead of just leaving us in that state and letting us just suffer and let us be crushed under the the, the weight of our slavery and under the weight of his judgment, God looked upon us and had compassion upon us. Just like he looked upon the Israelites and had compassion upon them and sent a rescuer, sent a a redeemer of sorts, Moses, to, to free them, God has sent us his very son. God has sent Christ into the world towards us who were his enemies, to us who were enslaved under Satan's rule and sin's dominion. And Christ has redeemed us who could not redeem ourselves. He, he came into this world and he didn't just, uh, he didn't just provide from the rit- heavenly riches that he had and just dole it out on us and say, here you go guys. The way he redeemed us was by suffering for us. By, by entering into our humanity, by living faithfully, living obediently to God. And then at the cross is where our deliverance happened. Theirs happened at the Red Sea. Ours happened at the cross. Because Jesus suffered in our place. He bore the full wrath of God that should have been coming down upon us as God's enemies, as the ones who were his rebels towards him. Jesus bore that upon the cross thinking of this text where they were to not degrade the criminal, Jesus was beyond degraded at the cross, right? There was no limit to the strikes. There was no limit to the punishment. God the Father himself poured out all his wrath for our sin upon his son Jesus, and he put him to death as a substitute for us. And he was laid in the tomb, and it seemed like slavery is just going to continue. Even this righteous one who came to free us has been crushed under the weight of death too. But God the Father raised him from the dead that Sunday morning long ago that we celebrated a few Sundays ago. He raised him from the dead and Jesus now has conquered death and can free us, has freed many of us from our slavery to sin. He has done what we cannot do for ourselves, that he has broken the shackles that we sang about earlier of sin that controlled us. He has made it so that we might be forgiven of our sin because he suffered and we might be freed from our sin because he lived. Uh, He has rescued us. He has given us an even greater rescue than what they experienced in the exodus, right? He has delivered us. He looked upon us in our vulnerable state and freed us. And so that is why if, if Moses was calling them to look back on their rescue and how God had looked upon them in their vulnerable state and said, treat vulnerable people this way now, we can do the same thing. We can look back on our helpless state, our vulnerable state prior to Christ coming and look at how God intervened to spare us and provide for us. And we can say, having received that, how can I do anything but look out for the people who are vulnerable in front of my face, the people who are in my life, who are hurting, who are weak, who are powerless? How can I do anything but that? And so the last few minutes here, I want to tell us 
call us to a few ways that we can try to keep these commands. If Moses made these commands and he grounded these commands, how can we as Christians today try to keep these commands? And I'm just going to be able to offer some brief thoughts on this. There's so many things that could be said here. But I would note for us, if we are united with Jesus, if we have been freed from the slavery of sin, freed from the rule of Satan, we are not under this covenant that Moses was rehashing with them. We are not under this law, bound to keep every jot and tittle of it, every little detail of it. We have been set free. But there are things we can learn from this text that I think should translate into our life, even as people united with Christ, and the ways that we look out for vulnerable people ourselves. I want to talk briefly in two quick categories. I want to think in public policy and then in private decisions. Public policy and private decisions. I think this text has a bunch to teach us about how society should be organized. Uh, We are the church. We are not a state. We are not a formal government. But there are principles in this text that I think teach us at least some about how public policy should be shaped. And I, I would just note, we need to be much more thoughtful about how we engage in politics and think about government and make sure that we are approaching it as Christians and not as libertarians or Republicans or Democrats. When we're trying to think of public policy, we should be looking for the principles of God's kingdom that are in the word, not just planks in a, in a political uh, party's platform, right? And so you can see some of those in here, I think, just quick fire on some of these. Think about how criminal justice should be affected by this text, right? That we should treat, we should strive to see criminals treated with dignity. Even people who have done wrong should be treated with respect and dignity, not just cast off or thrown into a jail or prison or or meted out some punishment just to make them pay, but there should be proportionality and there should be respect to these brothers or sisters as image bearers of God. Right? That's our criminal justice system should be affected. We should, like we saw in verse 7 of 24, we should fight against human trafficking that, that is growing in our nation and our world. We should strive to fight against it. I am thankful for ministries and organizations and even lobbyists who are seeking to do that, to look out for people who could be easily stolen and, and moved and sold and abused. We should be caring about that. We should care about workers' rights. Shouldn't we? Like we, that is an important thing that God's people should care about is that people receive fair wages, right? That they are actually treated well by their employers. That should be of value to us because uh, it is of value here to God's people. I would say, and I, I don't want to like step on toes and things unnecessarily, but I think we should even be thoughtful about how we think about funding publicly, public funding for those who are poor, those who are in poverty. This was commanded here in this text. Those who had to care for people who didn't. To leave some, it was like publicly mandated, leaving some of yours to give to them. Uh, And we often look down our nose at policies where public funding is given to people who are in need, who are in poverty. And we think, well, that should belong to me. But this is commanded even amongst people of God to take from what God has given to us and to, to, to even force and command people to give some of theirs to care for those who are in need. And the last thing, public policy, and then a few quick thoughts on private uh, personal life. I think this, a text like this should affect how we think about immigration, how we care for foreigners in our midst, right? He, he says to look out for sojourners, 
the fatherless and the widows. Uh, that, that we should, as the people of God, if not as Americans, as the people of God, we should care about people who come from other cultures, people who come into our society, into our community. We should seek to care for them, look out for them. Think about refugees, how we speak of them or think of them. How would that jive with this care for the vulnerable, care for the poor? A couple personal life suggestions. In keeping with that theme of welcoming foreigners, I think that's something, and I know it, it may be limited in a town like ours, uh, but to, as foreigners do come into our midst, whether it's through school or work or into our neighborhood or our apartment complex, or welcome them into your home. Seek to get to know them, care for them. Uh, they are in a vulnerable spot coming into a, a place where they are a minority and they, they feel their foreignness very acutely. Be attentive to that. Look out for them. Seek to be hospitable to them. I think personally we should be looking to help widows that are in our midst. There's a few ladies, dear sisters, even in our church right now who have lost husbands over the last few months. We as the people of God should not just feel pity toward them, but we should look for ways that we can actually care for them, that we can uh, help do the things that maybe their husbands used to do for them, that we could seek to give, uh, keep them company. We can seek to care for them, invite them into our families if, if their families are not around. We should seek to care for widows. We should seek to provide resource and encouragement to the poor, I would say in our community. Uh, I appreciate it so much a few weeks ago having Eric Lane here from Fellowship Missions, our, our local shelter for the homeless, the director there. And I appreciate it so much. I don't remember, I don't know if some of you were here, but one thing he said I appreciate it so much was how in the caring for those who are poor, we must always treat them with dignity. Never think that, man, because I have abundantly, I'm somehow this person or this family's, like, savior. I'm their Messiah. Like, whoa, way to go me. Like, aren't you glad that I'm here to help you? But to treat our brothers and sisters who find themselves in poverty as human beings, as full image bearers and peers with me. And God may have given me some extra, but I, in my charity, am not going to forget your dignity, right? That, that we should seek to care for the poor. We should think about ways that we could be involved in foster care, I would say, in adoption based on texts like these. There are orphans that are in our community. There are people who have, have lost their parents, either maybe lost their life or they've gone into the criminal justice system who need cared for. And so that's a tangible way we can seek to live out this principle of caring for the vulnerable. But this doesn't always come easy to us to look out for the vulnerable. Sometimes we're just tempted to, to keep to ourselves, to just look at our own life and to not, be, not have the needle be moved of compassion as we look upon people who are vulnerable. And maybe that's where you're at today, where you feel like, man, I know I should care about these people. I know that I should care about their situation, but I just, it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't move the needle for me. If that is you, I would command you, commend you, encourage you to do what Moses told them to do. Is to go back, and if you're a Christian, remember how you were rescued. Remember that you were once vulnerable too. Even if you've grown up with a silver spoon in your mouth and you've, you've had every ease in your life in general, like I have, spiritually you were vulnerable as vulnerable could be. And God looked upon you and had compassion upon you and sent you a savior, sent you a rescuer. Remember how he has cared for you. Start there. Don't just look at this person who's hurting and think, I just want to look at them and be moved by their plight. Look back at your own plight and how God has delivered you, how he's looked out for you, and let that melt the hardness of heart. Uh, because you may not be, have your heart melted by just looking at this brother or sister who's hurting you and you think, they deserve that, or like, they, uh, like 
you may have these low thoughts of them, but when you look back at your play, when you look back at the cell you were freed from, how can that not move you to say, I want to help those who are in need. I want to help those who are hurting. I want to help those who are vulnerable. We should not be motivated by cold obligation to each other, but by warm thankfulness to God for how he's delivered us and then seek to live that out in how we relate to others. Last thing I want to say before we sing, I was thinking about at least my experience as a parent, uh, been a parent almost 13 years now. Um, but what has happened to me as I became a father and had my own child and children to care for is I started replaying the ways that my parents had cared for me, like things that I just had always taken for granted and not even realized it, all the ways that they had looked out for me, that my mom had carried me, that they had fed me, that my dad had worked uh, uh, tons of hours to care for us. They had disciplined us when we were acting like fools. They had provided for us again and again. I just had never really realized the depth of how vulnerable and foolish and weak I was or the, the extent of their love for me that they had shown me even when I didn't realize it. But as that started to set into me, and I, I kind of looked quickly with retrospect based on being a parent now, what that effect that had on me is it made me want to, in a sense, pay that forward to my kids. To think, man, my mom and dad, how they cared for me, how they looked out for me, the ways that they selflessly, tirelessly provided for me and looked out for me. I don't want me to just be the terminal point of that. Like, I, as somebody who's received that, I want to care for my kids who are vulnerable. I want to show them the same love that has been shown to me. And in the same way, we can look back at the provision that has been given to us that we maybe haven't even fully realized the scope of, the, the, the compassion and mercy and grace that God has shown to us when we were vulnerable. Let's think upon that, and as that, the depths of that sink in, let us let that move us to try to extend that same type of care, that same type of love to the people who are vulnerable around us. Amen? I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a closing song, and I'll leave you with a word of benediction on this Mother's Day. But let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we uh, come to you as people apart from your son Jesus who are unspeakably vulnerable, who are weak and powerless to save ourselves, uh, who are under, who are born under and live under the rule of Satan and the dominion of sin. But God, we are grateful that you looked upon us in our helpless state and you sent a rescuer. You, you delivered us. You have brought us out of that slavery and that darkness. And you've brought us into light. You've brought us into life. God, may we then, therefore, look at the people in our life who are vulnerable. The people around us who are hurting, who are in need, who are maybe under the thumb of others. And may we look out for them the way that you have looked out for us. May we seek to be your hands and your feet to them here and all around this world. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.